Good day and thanks so much for joining us on a frank conversation. And today we are having a frank conversation and we're talking about the weather, not in terms of water cooler talk, but we're talking more long-term outlook. And here to help us out today is David Zierden. He is uh, the state's climatologist. He hangs out and he checks out the trends. And somebody else here to help us out, Grant Gilmore. We stand beside each other every single morning and he gives you your forecast and he gives you a deeper dive as well. But we're gonna combine these two gentlemen's superpowers to make some sense of what's going on right now and what we may be looking at long-term. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Frank. It's good to be with you. Good Thank morning, you. Frank. Uh, studies have shown that uh, that news broadcasters and especially weather uh, broadcasters are some of the most trusted voices in America. And uh, so to use that platform to raise awareness to climate change is really important. And Grant does a great job of this. Why, why do you think there has been such a hesitancy to, to discuss the, the trends that we've seen or that you've seen and, and other climatologists with, with climate change? Well, a couple reasons. One, it is the science of climate change has gotten kind of convoluted with politics and it's become not just a science issue, but a political issue. And so uh, by going too deep into that, you might be alienating some of the viewers or, or some of the audience. So that's where why there's some hesitancy there. And also uh, the the way we're going to have to address climate change will require some major changes in lifestyle and just the way we've always done things and people are hesitant to change so they don't necessarily want to hear about it as much ultimately people know whether they feel warmer whether they feel colder especially if they've been in uh, you know, the state of Florida for some time for a couple of years or even a couple of decades they know what it may have felt like back then versus the way it feels now that's undeniable and then you can back that up with the data that you've gathered over time right yeah and that that leads into a, a great lesson we've learned over the years uh i have done a lot of work with agriculture especially here in the tri-state area uh over the last two or more decades and farmers and the, the agricultural community can be kind of a conservative group to work with and if you go in with guns a-blazing, uh, climate change is here and happening and we got to do something, uh, it's easy to get turned off. Where if you go in and you ask, start the conversation, you ask these guys, what changes have you noticed recently? Have you noticed changes in our weather and stuff? Then the conversation will just flow. They'll they'll tell you all the changes they've noticed, and and the, the the conversation just really gets started, and we can make some headway. Yeah, you find a common ground there, Grant. Have you, even though you followed these patterns, Grant, have you seen uh, you know elements that kind of give you whiplash as you're putting together your weather reports? Well, I, I think yes, in, in in multiple ways. You know, you look at some of the more dramatic weather and the the extreme weather that we've seen across the United States over the last not just year, but the last several years. You talk about you know extreme flooding, uh, 100,000 year floods or uh, incredibly intense hurricanes. And more recently, some of these winter severe weather outbreaks that have produced tornadoes in parts of the country that 
have never seen these types of threats this late into the year. Uh, all of those combined do sort of raise some red flags. And, and I'm sure David can also speak to this as well, how, you know, in the moment, in those days where you're tracking these extreme weather events, you can't point to that and say, this is a result of climate change. Because, you know, I'll give a Hurricane Harvey for an example. We know that that would have been a, a, a catastrophic hurricane that, that impacted part, portions of eastern Texas and the Houston area. However, climate change we can find, you know, aided in it. And so we have to look at the bigger picture and, and how climate change and the influence that climate change is having on, on sea level rise, on sea surface temperatures, on on moisture content in the atmosphere, all these different things and how it all paints the larger picture into how it's impacting our day-to-day -day weather. But then to, to talk more specifically about what David was saying, when, when you talk to these these uh, these farmers and, and people in the agricultural industry, or you talk to the, the people that are out on the water, some of the people that live on the coast, and you just ask them what they have seen or you have them explain the weather conditions now compared to how they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you don't have to insert anything about human-induced climate change, but they'll tell you things are changing. It's not the way it used to be. And that's what we have to look at from a data perspective, but also just in the day-to-day -day and how we're seeing those impacts on our daily lives. And so David, what what have you seen that is really giving you some pause in terms of the patterns that you've been tracking? Because Grant touched upon that just a moment ago. Uh, when you're looking at the big picture, and this is a great big picture, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that that are really standing out to you? And you know, we can you know personalize it as we talk about folks in the agriculture world who are farming and such. Uh, one really. Uh, alarming trend is the increasing temperatures we've seen across the state of Florida and the Southeast. Uh, during most of the 20th century, Florida really kind of lagged behind the, the globe or the rest of the United States as far as increasing temperatures. But in the last five to seven years, we've seen a, a very sharp rise in temperature in all seasons of the year. Uh, Right now, Florida average temperatures are running two degrees Fahrenheit warmer than they were just six years ago. Uh, Seems slight, but it's not, right? I mean, make, make, make that make sense for folks at home. If you say, oh, two degrees, not a big deal, but, but it is. It is a big deal. And also an interesting part of this trend is it's the nighttime minimum temperatures that are affected more than the daytime high temperatures. Uh, for example, I just put some information together for the Miami International Airport. Prior to 1990, they would they would record about 50 nights a year where the minimum temperature was 75 degrees or greater. Now that's risen to 150 <laughs> nights per year where the temperature does not fall below 75 degrees. So a threefold increase in these warm nights and it, it has big implications. Uh, uh, agricultural production, uh, especially livestock, poultry, the cumulative stress and not having the recovery at night, also affecting human health, uh, heat-related illness and morbidity, uh, again, especially in un-air-conditioned households where the, the body cannot recover properly at night due to these warm overnight temperatures. 
And very interestingly, I just had a conversation last week with a journalism student at University of Florida, and they're doing a project on the prison population. And I was shocked to learn that 75% of Florida's prisons are unair conditioned. Mm-hmm. So these prison populations are very vulnerable to these rising heat, especially the nighttime temperatures. That's an element that many people don't even give any regard to when we talk about the prison population there. Um, But it's certainly something to think about. And you talk about air conditioning just in any other person's home and grant tongue in cheek. People joke about the temperature being altered in their home, two to three degrees and how much of an upheaval that causes, right? Well, if you can imagine that on a smaller scale, we can think about it on a much larger scale. And you were talking about, um, you know, sea level rising and coastal flooding and the likes of those issues right there. And this points to that. Yeah, there, there's there's so many local impacts that, that, that come from climate change. And, and we're really trying to bring it home because when we talk numbers and percentages and that sort of thing, it, it does get, get lost. But when you start talking about sea level rise and, and while a lot of the, the melting is occurring thousands and thousands of miles away from us here in Florida, the, the sea level rising is, is seen here in Tampa Bay and it's already being seen. Um, we've done numerous reports here uh, at 10 Tampa Bay, but the, the gauge, the, the tide gauge in downtown St. Pete has risen, let me see here, let me get this right, about eight and a half inches since 1947. So you're, I mean, not a foot, but, but eight inches is significant and that's an average. When you consider your, your high tides, just your, your typical high tides, then that's going to result in more nuisance flooding. And we say nuisance because you kind of, you, you come to expect it, but there's several communities just in the surrounding Tampa Bay area that when you have your king tides or some of your, your normal lunar cycle higher than normal tides, we see flooding and that's just normal. And we've come to accept that. But when you start looking at 50 years down the road, we're talking one generation down into the future, projections are that that sea level rise right here in Tampa Bay could be in the order of feet to if not closer to 10 feet from what it is now on average. So that alone is is very alarming. And then you throw in the impacts of what we see from say a hurricane. And that's an extreme case, but even just a persistent westerly wind could push a lot of water up into the bay that could result in a lot of flooding concerns just by the way that the, the sea level has risen. And you really have to make it relatable like that, um, guys, because you know people ultimately want to know well, how does this impact me? I mean, you know, I, I don't see the, you know, I hear all this talk about climate change. I read it passively. I hear about it passively. Um, I, I don't get it. But when you start looking at maps and the potential for how something could look, if we continue with the way things are trending, that's when it really becomes daunting, right, David? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of sea level rise, as, as Grant said, it's uh, while the, the average sea level has risen about a foot over the last century, uh, as he said, eight and a half inches in the Tampa area since 1947, uh, we are seeing an acceleration of that rate of rise in recent years, both in the satellite and tide gauge records. And while the average 
water level might not be that big a deal. It's, it's these extremes, these uh, high tide events, these nuisance flooding events are going to become three, four times more frequent. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, again, it's not just the average changing, it's the extremes, and that's where the, the real risk is. And, you know, if we get another, even a conservative estimate of two feet of sea level rise by the end of the 21st century. Okay, so we get a storm surge of three feet and then you add that extra two feet on, all of a sudden you've got a five foot storm surge, which does significantly more damage than it would have in the absence of sea level rise. Becomes David, catastrophic. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, we talk about sea level rise and the melting water from the snow pack and the ice shelf and the poles, but this, this extra water that's just being injected into the system is is just atmospheric moisture as well. Uh, I'm curious if you've done any research and, and how that is relating to the type of rainfall that we're seeing here in Florida and you know inland flooding as well. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a growing body of evidence that as the climate warms, uh, it, the, the warmer atmosphere holds more moisture so there's more moisture available for these extreme rainfall events. This is well documented in the U.S. National Climate Assessment and other studies. Uh, certainly we've seen it in Florida. Uh, another side effect to this increase in atmospheric moisture is it's, it is one of the mechanisms contributing to these warming overnight temperatures. A moister atmosphere is less efficient at radiating away heat at night. So it's um, this increase in atmospheric moisture and humidity is one of the contributors to these rising nighttime temperatures. And I'm curious about that, David, if, if you're not cooling off at night, um, whether you're along the coast or, or inland to the peninsula, does that impact or could it potentially impact the way that our sea breeze and our land breeze is, is maneuvering throughout the, the summer months? Yeah, quite possibly. And uh, you mentioned the sea breeze, land breeze. It's a it's a a big mechanism for initiating these afternoon thunder showers, which we are so familiar with in in the state of Florida. Uh, a, a scientist here at our center at FSU, uh, Dr. Vasu Misra, has done a study where he looked at future changes in sea surface temperatures, also, and that as the temperatures of the coastal waters, the West Florida shelf rise, it could change precipitation patterns and actually lead to more precipitation out over the Gulf and maybe less inland with the sea breeze and, and less sea breeze activity. So that that all can tie together uh, exactly how it's gonna play out, we don't know, but, but our, these modeling studies are giving us some indications. And Grant, I mean, you put together, you know, your forecast when we're talking about even something as simple as walking the dog or what time of day one may want to go ahead and do something like that or get a workout in. When we're talking about warmer temperatures, there's also a growing concern for, as you mentioned, the time of day one wants to step outside, even considering the effects that, you know, a stroke could potentially have on people out there. These are all elements that, you know, may be overlooked as uh, we're considering our day-to-day -day activities, but obviously have to add more concern to these types of topics. 
and you know, Frank, it's it's not just you know your your day to day activities like going for a walk or or getting outside to exercise. And I think people do notice that. I, I hear it all the time. People say, "I just don't remember it doing this," or "I don't remember it being this warm," or maybe I, people say, "I I remember it being more consistent on when we got those afternoon showers and storms." And I think people are subconsciously very aware of the weather in the past and how it may not be the same now. Of course, we have different experiences as we grow older and, and we may not remember things as well as we did when we were younger. But I think people are very astute to these changes, whether they want to attribute it to it in their own space as climate change. It's, it's definitely happening, but with their, you know, their, their bank accounts as well. Uh, David's talked about a big thing that we're seeing here in Florida are the, the warming of these overnight temperatures. And if your home is not able to efficiently cool overnight, your, your AC is going to be running consistently all night long, trying to cool your home. And that just means more and more money is coming out of your budget. But also that means that the, the power grid and the, the whole system is strained more and you could run into a lot of big issues from a infrastructure standpoint if we're not prepared for more and more of this overnight warmth that that we're seeing. Yeah, and you know, we, we've seen our share of storms in the winter um, that typically come through in the spring. Not to say that this is something brand new, but it, it raises questions. People jump into your inbox there, Grant, as they're inquiring about these, these tornadoes that are coming through in, in the winter season as opposed to in spring. Right, yeah. I mean, severe weather is always going to grab the attention and grab the headlines and and, and rightfully so because they're, they're dangerous and they're, you know, they're deadly. So we have to be prepared for them. But I, I think the, the overarching theme with severe weather is that in a in a warmer climate, in a warmer world that we live in now, or that, you know, that we're trending towards, that these extreme weather events are going to be one more extreme, but also more frequent. And, and that's, that's across the board from wildfires to drought, to, to flooding, to hurricanes, everything. And I mean, I, I don't want to step on David's toes here, but David, I mean, where do we, where do we look for maybe the, the biggest focus that we should be putting on, on what that, that impact is going to be here in Florida. Well, I think we've already hit the, the, the two major and most imminent threats and that's sea level rise and these rising temperatures. But like you said, they have other implications. Uh, uh, studies have shown that even if rainfall patterns are not changing that much, the increase in temperature alone changes the whole water balance equation and evapotranspiration rates and will lead to more frequent and more severe droughts from rising temperatures alone. Now, if we throw in the possibility of shifting precipitation patterns, uh, yes, a drought could become more of a threat, more frequent, more severe. Uh, luckily, here in Florida, we haven't had uh, much of a bad drought since about 2011 or 2012. So we've been we've been doing pretty well in the last several years, but it's always always a possibility to return, bring with it the threat of wildfires, water shortages, etc. David, does, I'm sorry, go ahead, Grant. Well, I, Dave, I think you've, you're, you've done a lot of research with the El Nino um, impacts. 
Yes. Could you talk a little bit about that and how El Nino and La Nina play a part in our weather, but maybe more so how we should we should really be paying attention to that into the future? Oh, oh sure. Yeah. Uh, the El Nino La Nina cycle is a, is changing water temperatures in the tropical Pacific Ocean along the equator. Uh, El Nino is when that area from basically the coast of South America all the way to the international dateline along the equator gets really unusually warm, several degrees Celsius warmer than normal. And this change in the Pacific Ocean temperatures affects our jet streams, storm patterns, our, our weather patterns, uh, mostly during the winter months, November through March. Uh, we talked about severe weather. Uh, the National Weather Service office in Melbourne did a lot of great research on how it's this El Nino phase and the increased storminess that brings uh, deadly tornado outbreaks to central Florida. Uh, the two most deadly ones, I forget the exact dates right now, uh, uh, happened when we had a strong El Nino in place. Well, La Nina is the opposite phase where that same area of the Pacific Ocean is several degrees colder than normal. And that usually brings a warmer and drier winter and spring season to the state of Florida. And often we get these multi-year La Nina events, which can lead to drought here in the state. We have been in the La Nina phase both last year and again this year. Luckily, last year was one of the exceptions. We really had temperatures that were close to normal and rainfall that was close to normal or even above normal across the state. So last year was an exception to the usual La Nina climate patterns. But this year, we're in that same phase again, and it looks like uh, La Nina is setting in pretty well, and we can anticipate drier and warmer conditions throughout the winter. David, does this, does any of what is happening right now change the amount of warning we would have before we find out about a severe weather event with what's happening right now? Does it, does it, does it widen the window? Does it shrink the window of, of warning? Uh, no, because we're kind of getting into the differences between studying climate and kind of background forcing and looking at overall recurring patterns rather than weather forecasting, which is from one to 10 days out or, or maybe a little longer. And so I don't think it's changed our predictability of the weather and the day-to-day -day forecasting, just advances in the numerical models and the science helps keep pushing that window uh, further and further and giving us more predictability. Grant can talk a lot more about this than I can, but yeah, I don't think any of this is giving us more or less predictability in, in the day-to-day -day weather. Like I think one way that, one way that we, we can maybe blend the, the study of climate and climate change with you know, local weather impacts is that when, when we look at things like El Nino patterns or La Nina patterns, or maybe trends in, in sea surface temperature, so on and so forth, specifically to what we deal with here in Florida is what types of seasons are we going to have? Are we going to have a more active hurricane season? It's not gonna tell you where the hurricanes are going to strike, but it, it could tell you that we're just going to have more frequent hurricanes or the potential for more intense hurricanes. And then ultimately we can we can deduce how those impacts are going to be and how we need to prepare for them from a personal level, but from a, 
I think a, a city level as well. If we know that there's going to be a higher chance of seeing a tropical system this year, we need to be more aware of those the threats to your area, whether that's along the coast or, or inland. Um, but then also just relating to um, severe weather in terms of tornadoes and that sort of thing. We generally can't predict a severe weather outbreak with much accuracy beyond maybe two or three days in, in, in a relatively broad region. But if we track climate trends, we can see where those are most likely to occur and when they're most likely to occur, which is what's tough. When you start dealing with extreme events, they're, they're extreme events because they haven't happened very frequently. So that makes it harder to predict. Glad you underscored that because that's the point that people really, really needed to hear. And, you know, something else, gentlemen, that I know that you all, as you study these patterns in the grand scheme of things, what can, and I'll pose this to you first, Grant, what, what can I do? What, what can I do? What is my part in this that I can do to reduce the, the impact on the bigger picture? There are things that you suggest during our show that folks should keep in mind. And if you could just reiterate some of that. I think the easiest thing to do is stay aware and recognize what impacts you are, are having on the environment. And this is where we get into a whole other conversation of human cause, climate change versus the fact that things are changing. Um, because David and I can sit here and look at the data and that's what we try to do is we try to look at the data and just present the facts, present what the, the data and the research is, is showing us or what the science is helping us to predict into the future. But if we recognize that um, greenhouse gases are what are increasing global temperatures, then we have to be aware of the fact that, well, if we increase greenhouse gases, then naturally there's just going to be a, a domino effect of, of warmer temperatures down the road. So that's, that's a small example, but I think that we just need to be aware of the fact of climates are changing. There are impacts that go beyond just the, the traditional global warming title. And we have to be keep our eyes open and be aware of, of those changes, but, but also how can we protect ourselves from those changes? Because we may not be able to uh, change all that much, but if we prepare ourselves and, and our communities for these changes, then we can, we can coexist with the changes that are happening. Preparation, David, that's the part that got you to nod your head, really in agreement right there. We'll, let, we'll give you the final word there. Yeah, no, there, 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 there's two ways we need to address this claim, changing climate uh, as, as Grant kind of well articulated. Uh, a certain amount of climate change we've already observed in both temperatures and extreme events, and a certain amount's locked in is going to continue. So we have to adapt to these changes. Be aware of how the climate is changing. Adapt our infrastructure uh, to deal with this changing climate. But the other side of it is mitigation, where we try to prevent uh, the, the worst consequences of climate change by lowering our greenhouse gas emissions. And so both approaches are, are needed and are important for the mitigation side Personal choices, they do matter. Everything from the type of vehicle you drive to cutting down on, on your trips to energy efficient appliances at home, all of that helps. Even your diet helps. 
but personal choices alone are not going to solve the problem of greenhouse gas emissions. We also need some broad scale policy and society changes. So uh, it's a it's a very difficult problem. Uh, so it, all of this is important. Another personal choice that really matters is voting. Uh, the last election cycle, climate became more and more of an issue, but prior to that, it was never a deciding issue in any of the political races. So when we start using our voting power, then policy changes are gonna follow. But we want people to lean toward doing what they need to do. So we've talked about awareness, adaptation, and of course, mitigation as far as we can control it. And so for all of that and more, thank you so much for, uh, for, for your time, David Zierden. And thank you, Grant Gilmore. And thank all of you out there for listening to this frank conversation. Hit these gentlemen up on social media. Grant, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, it's Grant underscore Gilmore. And David, what's your handle? It's at FL Climate Center. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you all, gentlemen, and have a good one. And until next time, y'all have a good one.